All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 5. The scripture states, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. All right, as we said, we're continuing our series, Redeeming the Time in 2020. We started out looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 for our theme verse for the year. And each month, we're emphasizing a different verse that follows along with that topic. February, we considered a time to work. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. In March, Romans chapter 13, verse 11, emphasized a time to wake, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Then, of course, we had a break, and then in last month in June, we considered Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, a time to walk. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And this month, we emphasize verse 3 of our text, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Beloved, this is a time we need to warn others of what's going on and what is ahead. So our message this morning, there is trouble ahead. I think you would agree with me in our nation today. We recognize there's a great deal of trouble afoot. A lot of, lot of nonsense, a lot of foolishness, a lot of anti-Americanism, a lot of anti-God efforts are being put forth. However, we are aware of the fact and do rejoice in knowing that God is over all and he will bring his plan to fruition. But here in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we note, first of all, chapter 3 stresses the fact that Timothy must abide in true doctrine. Beloved, that's where it starts. Living for God, living according to the Word of God. And then in chapter 4, Paul is writing to Timothy and stressing his duty to proclaim the true doctrine. It's one thing to believe it and exercise it according to our own individual lives, but beloved, the world is full of people around us who desperately need to hear about this great truth. Paul makes his great admonition here, preach the word. Of course, that emphasizes the fact that we need to take advantage of that opportunity while people are still willing to listen. Isn't it sad? Isn't it hard to believe that so many people today have closed their minds and hearts to the word of God? It's going to get worse. It really is. That's why Paul makes these five demands as to word-driven preaching. By the way, 
There's Christ-centered preaching, and there is man-centered preaching. You can find whichever you want. We believe that God emphasizes, though, the importance of exalting His Word and exalting Jesus Christ, for Christ should be the focus of the message and the center of man's hope, not some individual who comes along and claims to have all the answers has to have a great, de- a great number of stories and illustrations and poems and cute little sayings. Beloved, those things might be entertaining, but they're not going to change a person's heart. It is the Word of God that brings about a change in the lives of men and women. Paul makes this five-fold demand. Preach the Word faithfully consistently, pastorally, patiently, and theologically, all in these first four verses of this chapter. Well, we're going to consider this morning briefly these three areas in Paul's warning. The warning's promise, the warning's problem, and the warning's peril. Notice with me as we start out here in verse 3, the first phrase, For the time will come. Our verse begins with Paul foretelling a specific season is at hand. This phrase, for the time will come. Notice the word for here. And in verse 6, it cites two reasons for Paul's urgent charge. Number one, apostasy is ahead. And the grand old warrior Paul will soon have departed. So he's saying, Timothy, times are changing. You need to emphasize truth and continue to proclaim that. First Timothy 4.1, for the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So this isn't the only time Paul issued this warning. We see it also in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. Here he uses the word time. For the time will come. That word time, it's not speaking to a specific chronological time that we would see on our clock, but it's speaking about a period, an era of time. And Paul is referring here to the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. It's the same word. We would note these times certainly are future, but... We would not be wise if we overlook the fact that they certainly do relate to us today as we see ourselves approaching the end of this church era. In fact, Paul admonishes Timothy to fulfill his ministry and shows that future heresy is going to be an outgrowth of present error. You understand that? Error proclaimed today will lead to apostasy tomorrow. Someone has said the coming apostasy is a further stage in the development of the already present deviation from the truth. In both the Old and New Testaments, we have promises of the coming kingdom, that golden time in the future when the Lord Jesus Christ, in two parts or two phases, will return to what we call the rapture, and he's going to declare, come up hither, according to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, in Second Thessalonians, we're going to be caught up in the clouds with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with him. And we have that promise that we will have a time when we gather together in heaven during the seven-year tribulation that takes place here on earth, and then the Lord will return again in what is known as the second coming. Following that, 
We have the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's what our Lord was referring to in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He's referring to his millennial reign, that kingdom when he will rule on the earth for 1,000 years. This promise Paul is making concerning apostasy is no less important than any other promise in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard to determine all the, the uh, promises in the Bible. Time magazine back in December 4th, 1956 carried an article about a school teacher named Everett Storms of Kitchener, uh, Canada, who spent time studying the Bible and identified what he believed to be all the promises therein. He came up with or identified 8,803. There were over 7,400 promises by God to man, two promises by God the Father to the Son, 991 promises by one man to another, 290 promises by man to God, 21 promises by angels, one promise by a man to an angel, two promises made by an evil spirit to the Lord, and nine promises made by Satan. Somebody else might come up with a different figure, but uh, I think his list has been pretty, uh, proven to be pretty conclusive and pretty complete. But the fact is, every one of those promises, if they have not already done so, will come to pass, including Paul's declaration here that the time will come. So here we have the promise that there's trouble ahead. That's why we need to be be warning people today. Look, there's trouble ahead. You need to tell people there's a problem coming in the future that you need to be aware of. So what does Paul go on to say? Notice also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says there's, uh, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So here, what will come? You know, that's the question that comes up for the time will come. Well, what? What's going to come? You know, it's interesting that a number of different advertising campaigns that have been successful through the years have used this idea of generating anticipation about something. You know, they'll say for days or weeks before announcing what their product or service is, and say, it's coming. It's coming. Then you'll see it's almost here. And people are wondering, well, what are they talking about? I'll give you an example. You know what a Segway is, a human transport thing? For quite some time, it was touted that there was this amazing invention that was going to be introduced. Information was leaked about this prior to its introduction, this two-wheeled self-balancing single transport. And as a result of this report being written, there was speculation about this device and its importance. So much so, the inventor, John Doerr, speculated that it would be more important than the Internet. Steve Jobs of Apple said that this would be as big a deal as the personal computer. But later he retracted that statement because this proved to be one of the biggest busts ever. It was just a disaster. But it was a successful campaign because a lot of the techies, a lot of people that were just looking for the next new thing, that's all they talked about. What is this? What is this segue? What are they talking about? Well, this product, after it hit the market, proved to be just not worth the hype. But we don't want to be guilty of making the wrong 
estimation here concerning Paul's promise. The time will come. It surely is on the way. And I assure you, it's going to be worse than what we might see here in regard to this manner. The word endure. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word endure means to hold up against, to bear with, or to put up with. When Paul says people will not endure sound doctrine, he means they're not only going to just dislike it, but they're actually going to hate it, and they're going to oppose it. So what is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is healthy, wholesome, or uncorrupt. His doctrine was sound because it came from God and because it pointed the listener toward godliness. That's the message that needs to be given to people today. Look, there's trouble ahead. And the only way to avoid that trouble, the only way to escape it, is to turn to God and follow a life of godliness that will be pleasing to the Lord and he will, he will protect us from that trouble to come. Why? Because the church isn't going to be here. How tragic for those who never trust in Christ as their Savior, who never repent of their sin and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. They'll miss out on the great joy of being gathered up into heaven with all of God's saints. 2 Timothy 4.4 warns they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Why? Because they reject sound doctrine. Because they oppose the word of God. And don't we see that today? Not only here in the United States, but around the world. A strong and concerted effort to silence the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God. There's great effort being put forth to eliminate the presence of God from the public eye. We mentioned that in Sunday school this morning. The idea that there are groups that are just determined they're going to get the phrase, our national model, in God we trust, removed from our currency. They don't like the idea that somebody prays in Congress before their sessions. They don't like the idea that somebody can stand on a a street corner and preach the word of God. They don't like the idea people will will pray before uh, uh, sporting events and things like that. People hate God today. And the danger ahead for them is indescribable. That's why we need to be issuing this warning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous men, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. For murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. All those who oppose the word of God, they are sealing their doom. You know, in Timothy's day, Gnostic heresy was on the rise. Today, we see liberal theology. Uh, making its way into churches all across the country and around the world. Many pulpits and classrooms are occupied by men who deny the inerrancy, the authority, and the inspiration of Scripture. They also deny Jesus Christ, His incarnation, His miracles, infallibility, His immaculacy, His resurrection and ascension. They deny His personal coming. 
They as well deny the fall of man, the blood atonement, the doctrine of hell, and the need for the new birth. These people are apostates. Bible calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to warn people not to be caught up, not to be misled by these people. Folks reject sound doctrine because their heart is not right with God. And they will criticize those who stand against apostasy. We see that same attitude today. Those who would stand up and support the Black Lives Matter. They say, if you don't agree with us, you're against us. They want everyone who disagrees with them to be silenced. This is the work of the Marxist left. This is the work of those who are trying to silence those who would uphold the integrity of our nation's history being founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. They want all of that done away with. To deny any of the great truths of Scripture is to deny the faith once delivered to the saints. We talk about the fundamentals of the faith. What are they? The virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ, by the way, the physical, literal return of Christ, and the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. To oppose those great truths is to stand with those about whom Paul is commanding to Timothy, warn people about them. We see this evidenced by individuals, churches, and denominations today, don't we? The Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Presbyterian Church in the USA, the United Church of Christ, the United Methodist Church, National Council of Churches, the World Council of Churches, and many more are apostate, for they stand against the truth of the Word of God. Over time... Institutions, individuals, organizations, they have a tendency to change. And if they're not going to be diligent in upholding and standing for the truth of the Word of God, those principles on which those organizations, institutions were founded will erode and they will move toward that which is anti-God and anti-Christ. You don't believe me? Consider Harvard University. Like many of its sister Ivy Leagues were founded to educate ministers and for the spread of the gospel. Did you know that? Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Brown, the University of Pennsylvania started to prepare men and women for the gospel ministry. Anybody tries to Proclaim the truth of the word of God on those campuses today would be shouted down or run off, run off the property. Scripture reminds us to turn away from the truth is to denounce the very breath of God's message to mankind. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. Jesus declared, my doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. So to deny or to denounce the words of Christ would be to stand in opposition to God Almighty.
George Whitfield said, It is undoubtedly true that every doctrine that comes from God leads to God, and that which doth not tend to promote holiness is not of God. He's making it clear there's a choice. Promote holiness, you stand with God. You oppose holiness, you stand against God. Why is it people can't see that today? Well, that's what we're supposed to be warning them about. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So what's the peril? We see the the promise, we see the problem. What is the peril? What's ahead for them? It says, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The phrase after their own lust gets to the crux of the matter. Because they desire a religion that is wholly based upon their views, their ideologies, and their self-serving interests. It's been said when anyone rejects God and his word, they choose to substitute that which is perfect, holy, just, and pure with that which pleases, pampers, and satisfies one's personal desires and interests. Wow, don't we see that in churches today? Tell me what I want to hear. Make me feel good. I want to go from here smiling today. Well, look, I don't want anybody to go from here mad or crying, but we need to recognize the whole counsel of God is beneficial for us, not just the things we like. If every one of us were given the liberty and given the opportunity to create our own Bible, how much of this book would change? How much would be removed? The liberals, they've, they've sliced hymns one after another from their hymnals, anything that talks about the blood, songs that talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine going to a church, a so-called church, that didn't believe Jesus died for their sin, didn't believe that Jesus was buried and rose again from the dead, and didn't believe that he was coming back? What a miserable life that would be. Paul said, we as Christians, we would of all men be most miserable if this wasn't true. But beloved, it is. And because of that, we need to warn people of what's ahead. Because they're chasing false doctrine. They're chasing after error. They're chasing after things that will satisfy and please them. Really, the question is, what's important to God? What pleases Him? What satisfies Him? What is it? The scripture tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, if that's what God wants to take place, then that's what we ought to be promoting. But you have these religious, these liberal organizations that are doing what is warned here. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The word heap, it means to accumulate, to collect, to multiply, or to amass. You see, in the madness of the rebellion against God and his word, They'll be content with imposters and not just a few. They're going to heap to themselves. You understand the idea of heap. You know, somebody that has a huge appetite, they're sitting at the table and as you're passing maybe the the mashed potatoes or something, you'll put some on your plate and you you look at them and man, they're just scooping it up and they are putting a heap of taters on their plate. You're saying, what is wrong with that person? Well, What is wrong with these people that heap to themselves false teachers? It's not enough to have one liar in the bunch. They want a lot of them. How tragic, how dangerous it is for them to follow that. They're they're caught up in the idea that more is better. 
So many people today have bought into the lie that the majority is right. No. What is right is right. God's word is true. To stand with it is to stand with that which is right. To stand against it is to side with error. But it talks about uh, heaping themselves teachers having itching ears. The word itch means to rub, to scratch, to tickle. It's the idea of itching something for, for pleasure or satisfaction. You, know, you get that catch in your back or somewhere and you're just doing everything you can to, to, to scratch it, to try and get some relief. Well, it's the idea is they're heaping to themselves these teachers who strongly prefer to tell, or they want to hear novel, novelties, tantalizing theories, stimulating rhetoric, flowery phrases, and emotional feel-good stories, rather than the Word of God that will make them wise unto salvation. You know, this has plagued people throughout history. Isaiah 30, verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, Children that will not hear the law of God. Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their names, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? What is it about error that proves to be so attractive to people who have a mediocre or False relationship with the Lord. What are they going to want to hear? Fables, myths, falsehoods, stories, and all forms of false fictional teaching. Paul warned about this. He said, Refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He said, Do away with the error. Choose to follow that which is right. Second Peter 1.16, Peter addressed this. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we were made known unto you by the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They said, we told you the truth. We told you what we saw. Peter, one of the apostles said, I have told you what it was like to live with the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you what it was like to watch him as he served. I told you what it was like to listen to him as he taught. Why are you believing these false teachers? when you have the opportunity to turn to the truth. You see, the unrecognized tragedy for all who reject God and his word, no matter how religious they may appear, is that they're outside of the family of God. And I realize this thought angers people. They say, well, I've been in church all my life. Beloved, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Holding a Bible in your hand doesn't make you a Bible believer. Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus said, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. People today are being misled by the millions, by false teachers who are simply telling them what they want to hear, things they have made up, things they have generated on their own, rather than turning to the tried and true word of God. Jesus later said in John chapter 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. 
The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know what makes Jesus different than all the other judges of the world? His judgment will be based upon his word. Not opinions, not bias, not emotion, not popular opinion, but it'll be based upon truth. That's why we must preach the word of God in its historical setting. That's why being aware of the past is so important. It will help to protect us as we head toward the future. The day in which we live is a time to warn others. Today, preachers fill sports arenas by telling people what they want to hear about money, the politics, or by entertaining them and proclaiming bizarre doctrines that appeal to the curiosity. Entire intellectual careers are made and spent on reducing the words of Jesus to a few moralizing sound bites. Beloved, the word of God is more than a catchy quip or a cute phrase. Recent events indicate the masses already prefer myth to truth. That's why we must warn others while we can. I close with this illustration. There are few things worse than mixing a little truth with a lot of error. Or mixing a little error with a lot of truth. Jesus warned his disciples a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Well, in many congregations, compromise has replaced biblical conviction You understand rat poison is 98% good grain and 2% poison. You say, well, it's only a little. It won't hurt, or it won't hurt much. After all, there's so much good in it. Now, there's enough poison in that mixture to kill a, a varmint. And the problem with introducing error, whether in large or small bits, into our preaching and teaching is that it will harm, it will bring death to those who follow error instead of righteousness. Apostates are worse than those who are openly wicked because they give godliness a bad name. Let's not fall into that trap and be guilty of that very thing. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There's trouble ahead. The emphasis this month with our verse is that it's a time to warn people of the error that is going to be so harmful to them. We need to tell people Jesus saves. That's the message folks need to hear today. Amen.